0: I once was lost. I once was blind. I once was dead. Those are desperate, desperate words. I mean, just in those words, you can feel the agony. You can feel the loneliness. You can feel the guiltiness. The hopelessness. But I am so glad that the songwriter did not stop there. But now I'm found. Now I see. Now I live. There's hope. Blessings. How does a person go from guilt upon guilt to blessings upon blessings? I mean, can. A person go from guilt upon guilt to blessings upon blessings. In the early 1500s, there was a monk that sat in a small, simple stone room, agonizing over his spiritual condition. He initially entered the monastery to achieve holiness, but he was not finding it at all. His teachers told him that he could strive to be victorious over sin. So he relentlessly pursued God through fasting, through prayer, seeking to work for that victory for 3 years. He saw it. He is quoted as saying, "I tormented myself to death to procure peace with God for my troubled heart and my agitated conscience. But I was surrounded by horrible darkness." and could find peace nowhere. This monk would have related to the first part of the song we have up on the screen, I was lost, I was blind, I was dead. Uh, But this gentleman could not at all relate to the latter part. He so agonized over his sin that when he would wake up every morning, he would go and talk to the priest and confess his sin for sleeping well. Because how could a man who was a sinner before a holy God sleep well? And in fact, the priest told him, Martin Luther, either find a new sin and commit it or leave me alone. Luther had given up the opportunity to pursue a lucrative career in law, but he gave it up to pursue peace with God, but he wasn't finding it. In fact, his guilt was kind of like, I don't know, a tape on a baby's finger. He couldn't pull it off. He he couldn't shake it off. He couldn't peel it off. But my word, he yearned to have the guilt off. How would you have helped him? How would you have counseled him? It's interesting because our world makes a number of attempts to remove guilt. It says, just excuse it. Everybody does it. Hey, you're not perfect. Or they say, blame it. It's really not your fault. It's someone else's fault. Or good works it off. You know, if you do more good works than bad, it outweighs the scale and the good work wins. Or drown it. Alcohol it. Pleasure it. Drug it. Or here's my personal favorite, the disposable guilt bag. Serious. For five bucks, you can get ten brown paper bags. And printed on those bags, it says this. Place the bag securely over your mouth. Take a deep breath and blow all your guilt out. Then dispose of the bag immediately. The Associated Press said that some 2,500 kits have been sold. Now, can you see Martin Luther? Gets online, orders his disposable guilt bag. It comes as delivered by the similarly brown-suited UPS man. He's excited. He runs back to his room. He opens the package. He takes one brown bag out in hand. He opens it so that he can put it over his mouth. He takes a monstrous breath of air. And in a moment, he blows his living essence into the bag. And every guilt-ridden atom of his soul is blown in that bag. And then he hurriedly wraps it up, and he runs out to the dumpster, and he throws it away, and he goes... I live. I'm free. I don't think so. I just don't think so. But I do want to say this. Um, He found what the scriptures say. There can be blessings upon blessings over the top of guilt upon guilt. And guess what? That can be provided by God, not some ridiculous brown paper bag. Open your Bibles to Psalm 32, one of my very favorite psalms in the Bible, Psalm 32. Here's the context that leads up to Psalm 32. Uh, King David is about 50 years old. Uh, I'm 50 years old. Put some context to that. He's been king for some 20 years now, and he's faithfully served the Lord. Over that time, he's experienced now decades of God's goodness and his blessing upon his life. And then during one of those periods of time, the nation is at war. And King David is residing in Jerusalem at his palace. One evening, David can't sleep. So he goes out, walks on his roof of his palace, which is kind of like the patio of his home. No big deal. But then all of a sudden, he sees a beautiful woman bathing and rather than turning his eyes and hightailing it out like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, David lingers. And an innocent sighting moves into a lust-filled heart. In fact, David orders his staff to go bring the woman to him. And David commits adultery. And Bathsheba, who is a married woman and whose husband is in David's army, Becomes pregnant. And David, rather than acknowledging his sin to the Lord, goes to extreme measures to cover it all up. All the way to the point of working out a situation where Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, will be killed in battle. In a very short period of time, David has gone from unable to sleep to adulterer, to deceiver, to murderer. This boy's in a peck of trouble. This man after God's own heart who loved the Lord hit the sin wall big time. He doesn't try and brown bag it away. But David does try and run away. And you can't run from the Lord. He loves you too much. Psalm 32. Let's see a big God work. Psalm 32. First four words. A mass skill of David. That's written by King David. Uh, he's the human author. And it says it's a mass skill. We're actually, I don't know if we're really fully sure we know what that means. Uh, was it a notation for the director or for the musicians? Again, this is a psalm. This is a song. Was it a direction for them or the vocalist? Not quite sure. But the word has the actual meaning of understanding, instruction, uh, to give insight. I think it's kind of a cool way to start out. Hey, friends, we start out with insight from the Lord written through the experience of a man who hit the sin wall big. Let's delve in. Verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I mean, what an opening. What an opening. Blessed is the one. I say this, I want that. Don't you? I want that. I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed by God. I don't want to try and balance my guilt out with goodness. I I don't want to try and excuse it away. I, I don't want to try and blame it away. I don't want to try and drown it away with booze or drugs or sex or some kind of hobby. I want that. I want that. Look at verse 1 and 2, my sin removed, my sin forgiven, covered over fully by God with no possibility of it ever being pulled out against me again. My iniquities are divinely removed. My sin situation is so taken care of that I am, it is though as though I am one without any deceit. By the way, you see how it talks about you can't count. The Lord counts no iniquity. It's like, listen, Lord, come on in my room. One, two, three. How many zeros do we want to go here? Listen, I don't want that. I want this. God, count. I can't. There's no iniquity. I want that. I just want that. Fully forgiven, permanently covered Is that possible? Well, we'll find more here in the text in a little bit. First, I want to note this. Three really cool words used in these first two verses in the Hebrew. And you're going to learn a little Hebrew here for a couple minutes. Three words. Now, imagine if you're writing a song. Some of you may like to write songs or poems. Every word is critical. Every word in a poem, every word in a song, because you're limited to the number of words, in essence, you can put, every word is thought through with great care. And David here, as we're going to see unfold, which I think is one of the most beautiful things in this whole text, decides in this process to use three words that refer to his iniquity, to his sin. The first is Pesha. Pesha. You say it. One more time. Pesha. It's the willful violation by an inferior against a superior. Here in verse one, it's talking about one's open defiance against God. It's not an oopsie. It's not, oh, crud. It's an open, defiant action against my superior. That would be the Lord, Pesha. The next is, you kind of got a little, I'm probably hacking these to pieces, but. You get a little guttural in it. It's hata, hata. You say it. <laughs> hata. I love this word. It carries the broadest range of meaning for sin. It's not just a sin. It's all of sin. It's the wholeness of sin. It's the entirety of all sin. Hata. So Pesha is my open defiance before God. Hata is the entirety of my sin. Then the third one is Awan. You say it. One more time. Awan. It's the religious ethical parameter of the relationship. And here it's broken. Think about this. David decides in this song to use three words. He's talking about his sin. He's talking about his open defiance against God. God, I sinned against you kind of sin. Not just random. But God, this is against you. Defiance to my superior. And out of this, God, I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about all of my sin. The entirety of my sin. The whole mess pile of it. And God, that sin, the whole mess pile of it that was done in defiance to you has this aspect of it to where it is breaking our uh, ethical parameters in the relationship. I'm just telling you, he just piles the truth of the reality on the situation. Why three words? Because it adds breadth and it adds emphasis. It adds weight to the reality of the situation. Sin is serious. And that's what David's talking about. I'm talking about total depravity. Not just little oopsies. Total, total depravity is where David is getting at. Guilt upon guilt. If you do not grasp the totality of your sinfulness before God, you will never grasp the totality of his forgiveness and grace for you. Let me say that one more time. If you do not grasp the totality of your sinful condition before God, you will never grasp the totality of his forgiveness and grace made available for you. Hey, we live in a world today where it talks about little sinsies Little oopsies. And guess what? Little sins need a little God. And we don't just like key in on sin issue just to be like, oh, we're so horrible. Like, let's, you know, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding before the Lord. The reality of the situation is that we are big-time sinners before the Lord. And that requires a big God with big forgiveness, big grace that has to be poured out. Otherwise, I'm hopeless. Oh, this is great stuff. By the way, question, is David writing this before, during, or after? you got a 33% chance to win. Before, during, or after his... Uh, his adultery, his deceit, and his murdering after. Now, here's what's interesting. He starts out this song with blessed is the one, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman. That's an odd place to start when he's writing because I would think if he's writing now and he's looking back at this, it would be like a bad country song, <laughs> wouldn't it? And in fact, of those of you who have a little bit of age on us, you remember the he hogging. Uh, some of you have no idea, but they would sit around in the Hee Haw TV show years ago, and they would sit around, and they'd tell stories about what's going bad in their life, and then they would, and I'm not going to sing it, but they would come in, and it would be gloom, despair, and agony on me, a deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all gloom, despair, and agony on me. And That's what they would do, right? Yeah. But David doesn't start that way. Hey, listen, this means there's hope. This means there's hope. All right, where we're heading, there's hope in this. But I got to say this, David's got to take us to a place where we get what was happening before. So how did David get from messed up life to blessed life? How did that happen? How can a person go from searching for God to literally having a relationship with hope in the Lord? How can a person go from bound in transgression to bound in blessing? Well, David's going to tell us. Let's listen to the story. By the way, before we get there in the next coming verses, it's going to get dark. Because the fact of the matter is David is guilty in sin and he feels the weight. Guilt upon guilt. That's what he's going to tell us. And the word that sums this up is agonized. Agonized. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. David says, going back in time at the time, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer agony and listen look at the words bones wasted away oh my word groaning heavy dried up what's the problem well duh he's sin big right but but no wait look at the text though it's not just the sin issue look verse three it's the silence in the sin David actually acknowledges when he's writing this later on that the problem that's going on was his silence after the sin. Yeah, the sin was a bad deal, but the silence after, look at, when I kept silent, this is what happened as he looks back at it all. And I have to say this, here it is. (laughs) We are so foolish. We are so like David. I can keep it from God. No, seriously, I can keep it from God. I can manage it. I can hold it, and he's okay with it. Right, God? Oh, it just, it just baffles me how foolish we are. And the fact is, our pride drives our silence about our sin. And we all know it, don't we? We all know it. I do. Our silence is a pride issue. Hey, when was the last time? you had a heart-to-heart repentance with the Lord. I mean, for real. When was the last time? Length of silence is a measuring stick for one's depth of pride. The longer the silence, the bigger the pride. By the way, the shorter the silence, the bigger the spiritual maturity. This is not a matter of have I sinned, it's am I working through my sinfulness before the Lord in my relationship with him. fact is we're not that different from David. We're not that different from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, what do we find from them? They're trying to hide their disobedience from God. We're not any different than Jonah. Jonah ran from God. And God went fishing. And Paul, or before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was one religious dude. And in his pride, we don't see Saul repenting of his sin before the Lord. Silence with God gets you nowhere really, really fast. It will waste you away. It will groan you away. It will sop your life. By the way, verse 3, when it says my groaning, I love the King James Version. It actually nails the real meaning of the word through my roaring. Uh, The word was used referring to lions when they roar. Uh, Here's the picture, if you will. King David, in his guilt, on his bedroom floor, fetal position, Physical wreck, agony 24 7, and then this word puts it into view. Oh! That's agony. That's right. I'm sorry, little baby. But that's the reality, isn't it? <laughs> I made a baby cry. (laughs) Agonizing. (laughs) Man, that could not have been time better. But here's what's intriguing to me as well. That is David. And by the way, that was Martin Luther. And by the way, that is the reality of you and I. King David, 50-something, served God faithfully for decades. And there he is, curled up in agony, roaring out life pain like he's never known. And he's silent. I need to ask, could that possibly be you right now today? Could this possibly be where you're at right now? I have no idea. But I have to ask. Is this where you're at? Because if so, I've got hope for you, not because of me, but because of what the scriptures have to say. Hey, listen, listen up. All of us listen up to what happens next. Oh, by the way. Look at the end of verse 4. There's a word. What is that word? Selah. I'm not sure if we really quite know what that means either. But it has the connotation of exalt. It has the connotation of lifted up. I like this. It has the connotation of think about that. I say this right at this point in time. So for you right now, what should you be doing right now? In light of what David was just saying about roaring in agony over his sin, I would say this, hey, think about that. Think about that right now. Be thinking about that. And we go to verse five. I acknowledged, or really the New International has it good Where It's then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Boom, baby. Delivered. Delivered. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. What happened? Two things happened here that David talks about. Number one, you see it there in in verse uh, 5? I acknowledged David acknowledged uh, there was already an elephant in the room in the relationship that David had with the Lord. I'm not talking about losing salvation here. David was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He was just coming in the future yet. Yet David is redeemed in Christ, yet walking in the process, he hits the big sin wall. And he's silent about it in his relationship with the Lord. Until now, and God in his love brought so much heavy weight on him, it was the Lord's weight on him because he loved him enough. David, you're in a bad place. You need to feel it because apparently you're not going to repent of it. And then David came to this place where he acknowledged. Before this, David wasn't willing to discuss it. He brought it into the light. He owned up to it. Yep, there it is in all its ugliness. There it is. Dave is just tired of trying to kind of cover it up. Don't see it, God, because I know, I know you're busy. Finally gets to a point where it's like, God, there it all is. <sighs> he acknowledged it. He acknowledged it to the Lord. And note the next, it says, David confessed it. He spoke it. He said it. He put it into words. You can acknowledge something and yet not confess it. Yup, there it is. So? Yup, there it is. Big deal. Yup, there it is. I just don't want to deal with it right now. Yeah, I believe that God is a cre- my creator. Yeah, I believe that God created me to glorify him with my life. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. I believe that. Uh, I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account. Can you believe all the guys that were left the Colts this weekend? And we're off that quick. That quick. David finally comes to this point where it's not just about acknowledging it because acknowledging it, knowing it's there in the room, if you will, does not equate to repentance. Acknowledging and confessing it is the start of a changed life of repentance. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Both go together, acknowledging and confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we, by the way, conditional statement, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins... Confession is a huge biblical reality. And after months and months and months and months of silence and agony, David finally acknowledges and confesses his sin. By the way, my favorite part of this is on the table. Verse 5. Oh, by the way, remember the three words? Listen to this. David writing a song. Remember how words are so important? Follow me. Verse 5, David says, I acknowledged my hatah to you. Hata is the entirety of my sin. David acknowledged the wholeness of his sin. Yup, there it is. Not keeping a part of it back, but he selects this word on purpose. Because when he comes in and he acknowledges, I acknowledge the fullness, the total depravity, the total ugliness of my sin. It's fully out on the table. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge the entirety of my sin to you, O Lord, Hata. And I did not cover up my ahwan, my religious ethical transgression before you. You see, even though, if you will, redeemed in Christ, the relationship had a problem. And in that uh, good communication relationship, the big sin wall came into the picture. And yet communication, and there's a problem going on. So the Lord's putting weight on David because he loves him. David, repent, get out of your silence. I will forgive you. And David acknowledges the breach of that, the ethical transgression of that. Uh, uh, I acknowledge the entirety of my sin. I did not cover up my religious ethical transgressions. I said, I will confess my Pesha. These are the three words, right? I will confess my Pesha to the Lord. The fact that I have openly and brazenly rebelled against you, God. I'm not blaming it on anyone else. I am acknowledging the fact I have peshed against you, God, openly and brazenly. I have done that before you, and I acknowledge it all. Oh, the words are so important here. And here's the beauty. And you forgave the guilt of my hatah. The entirety of it all. From God's perspective, he has forgiven the guilt of all of it. The ethical break. The entirety of the sin. The open, brazen rebellion. All of it. All the pesha, all the awan, all the hata. I have hata'd it all. hey, hey. Do you, do you know that the Lord has done that for you if you've repented? And I mean just coming to him. I am talking about just coming to him as the Lord. Have you confessed that he's the Lord? Not just know that he's out there, but but, but, but come to the place where you've received Christ as your Savior and then the fruit has shown itself? Listen, know this. If that's the case, God has hathad all the past, all the present, all the future consequences of that sin. All of it's hatad. And by the way, as we're walking in life with the Lord, it comes to places and times where we continue to sin before him, and we still are to acknowledge that. I'm still his child, but I'm a child with darkness. And when I get out of the silence of my pride, and I acknowledge it, and I confess it, the Lord (sighs) ha it all. So beautiful. No ridiculous brown paper bag forgiveness. <laughs> Next word think about that. Selah. Think about that. Wow. David doesn't stop there in his song. He's got a couple more things to say. He's got some instruction that comes out of all this. We'll kind of just, let's run through these here. Verse six through 10. David, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. How sweet is that? Because a little bit ago, God was not a place to hide in. God was a place to hide from. Surely in the rush of the waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. This is a man who was living in pain. And now he's in preservation by God. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. (laughs) Think about that. Verse 8. I will instruct you, the Lord is now speaking, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that cool? The Lord who was putting the weight on now wants to teach and now wants to counsel. That's relationship. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Bit and bridle. Back in the day, the bit was like today, the thing you put in the mouth of the horse, and that's what leads the horse. Uh, The bridle in the day was more something more like a muzzle that would keep the horse from biting. Here's the picture. Don't be like the wild horse or the mule that's doing this to God. However, a horse does that. Don't be like that. Remember our daughter had a horse for a while. If you've been around animals and you know animals, at times it's like, seriously, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to come alongside you and get you to a better place, something that's for your good. Stop doing this. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. And that's what David was being. But not anymore. Now David looks back at his own life and he goes, oh my word, I was like a horse. I was like a mule fighting against God himself. How foolish was that? Don't do that. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Sin brings suffering with it but choose to stay silent about sin, choose to bite back and fight back about sin, and you choose to suffer even more. Because actually God loves you. And when pain comes out of my un, or my, my rebellious heart, God out of love will allow pain in my life. I'm not saying all pain is because of sin. I'm not saying that. But at times, God brings these kind of things till I get to a place where I will repent and stop fighting with him. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Not a few, not a couple, but how many? Many are the sorrows. Many are the woes. Many are the sores. Many are the pains. I love this, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Hey, horses. Hey, mules. Listen, when we let the Lord lead, when we stop biting back, when we fall into submission under his love and care for our lives, guess what? Surrounded by his love. That means front and back, top and bottom, left and right. This is a guy who is in 24-7 agony and pain, and now he's talking about having the full surrounding work of the Lord blessing his life. I want that. I want that. Blessed, agonized, delivered, instructed, and finally, rejoice. Why rejoice? Rejoice. Because he's gone from guilt upon guilt to blessings upon blessings. Look at this verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Rejoice, be glad. It's this idea of this deep inner joy for what is known to have taken place. Uh, Rejoice, it's the expression of that. It's interesting how here he was silent about his sin, and then when he expressed the reality of the situation before the Lord, and he's like, oh, I bring it out. I don't hide it anymore. And here it's like when we understand what the Lord has done, express it, shout it. Here, sing it. How often we're silent in our sin, and yet I also have to say, how often are we silent in our forgiveness, in the joy of our forgiveness? Oh, shout it out. Rejoice, people. I want to hear others who are like, oh, God forgave me this week, big time. I'm not there. I'm not perfect, but covered, love surrounded, under his care. Let's sing. (laughs) I want that. I want that. Look at this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. This is a cool statement. Oh, righteous. How could David have said that earlier? David would have said, how could I sing? I'm unrighteous. He's not righteous in himself. He's righteous because what the Lord has done to his life. Oh, righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Hey, listen. For many of you, I trust that right now you are current with the Lord. You're in a good place with the Lord. And I would just call and ask you to shout out with joy. And out of this text, I want to also, if there are some in here today where sin's got a hold on you and you've been silent about it, it's time to stop fighting and fussing because I know this from what David says. You will not win. The Lord calls us to submit to him, acknowledge it, just to get out of the pride and acknowledge it, and confess it, and begin the repentance process. And Maybe today, that's what you need to be doing. Martin Luther, after having acknowledged and confessed his sinfulness before the Lord, and claimed Christ as his Savior by grace through faith, said the following, My dear brother, my dear sister, learn to know Christ. Learn to know Christ and Christ crucified. Learn to sing to him a new song. To despair of yourself and to say to him, Thou, Lord Jesus, thou art my justice, and I am thy sin. Thou hast taken what is mine and has given me what is thine. I want that. You will find no peace but in him, he says, despairing of yourself and your works and learning with what love he opens his arms to you, taking on him all your faults and giving you all his justice. Bam! I won. Lord God, thank you so much for the honesty of Scripture. Lord, I thank you that David was willing to share the disparity in his very soul so that we could learn. God, everyone in this room knows sin, and we know it big Lord, I pray for anyone right now is at a place where sin has been unconfessed. They've just had kind of a lifestyle here recently where maybe they know what's going on. They know they've been in uh, disobedience to you, and yet they're not confessing it. I pray today would be the day where the silence is broken. there can be no iniquity there can be no deceit there can be blessing upon blessing oh god in this time i pray that there will be repentance taking place all around this room And Lord, I would pray all around this room there would be shouts of joy that here in just a second will be sung as such. Wow, you're amazing. Where would we be without your love? Where would we be without the cross? Oh, your love is stunning. In the glorious, magnificent, forgiving name of Christ we pray.